verse 1. If you have that, say amen. Praise the Lord. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your awesome word today. We pray that you'll quicken the scriptures to us, the word of God to us. Speak to us this morning. We ask, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. The throne and the rainbow. Let's go to Revelation 15. Revelation 15. In verse 4 it says, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So the purpose of the throne, the purpose of judgment is that all nations would come and worship him. It is redemptive. Praise God. And also judgment upon the wicked. Now let's go to Revelation 4. Let's talk about this throne and this rainbow this morning. He tells us in verse 3, He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sword and stone. There was rainbow round about the throne in sight like under an emerald. So he focuses on who's on the throne. And then he focuses about what's around the throne. Then he talks about what's before the throne. In the throne, round the throne, and then before the throne. And around the throne is a rainbow. But sitting on the throne is God himself. The Lord Jesus is sitting on the throne. There's only one throne in heaven, not three. And there's one sitting on that throne. His name is Jesus. He is God. He says when he sees the one sitting on the throne, he looks like a jasper stone and also a sardine stone. And then a rainbow round about the throne looks like an emerald, which is also a stone. We talk about these stones here. It depends and it picks up. We about 28 or 20 for the Lord today. It talks about stones on the breastplate of the high priest. I'm just going to take my time. Except eight. Okay. High priest. The high priest. Exodus chapter 28. Okay. The high priest. The high priest. Okay. It talks about stones. And then thou shalt the breastplate of judgment. Say judgment. With cunning work, after the work of the ephod, thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine linen shall make it. Square. Say four square. So again, this links you to the most holy place. The new Jerusalem is four square. It's a cube. Most holy place. In the tabernacle, when you get in the throne room, it's four square. Ten by ten by ten. It's four square. So when you talk about the throne room, you're always talking about 
four square or the most holy place. All right? So even the breastplate is four squares. Speaks to you of the most holy place. And he tells us in verse 16, four square it shall be, being doubled, a span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. Thou shalt set in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. So we're going to talk about these, these stones here, the jasper, the sardin, and the emerald. He tells us that in the settings of the stones, even four rows, verse 17 of stones, the first row shall be of sardis or sardin. So we have one of the stones here that are recorded in Revelation 4 is the first stone in the breastplate of the high priest. Then it says, the second stone is topaz and then carbuncle. These shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald. So the first stone in the second row is the emerald that is mentioned in Revelation 4. Then he says, a sapphire and a diamond in that second row. The third row, a liquor, an agate, and an amethyst. And then the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and then the last, jasper. That is the stone that is mentioned in Revelation 4 also. Alright, so then we have these stones recorded in Scripture, connected with the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4. Now, if you continue to read down, the Bible tells us, The stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel. Say the names. If you go up to verse 9 of chapter 28, you also have stones that are recorded. And they are the shoulder stones of the high priest. Okay. Verse 8. The curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same according to the work thereof, even of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet, fine twine linen. Thou shalt take two on stone and raise on them names of children of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, the other six names of the rest on the other stone here it says, according to their birth. Okay. So Reuben is the firstborn son of Israel. So he would be recorded first on one of the, the shoulder stones. Goes all the way down, according to birth. Divided the twelve into two, six on each shoulder. Reuben the first one. The last one would have been Benjamin. Because Benjamin was the last son of Jacob. Okay, so then the first stone, Reuben, you with me here? The first name on the stone, Reuben, last name on the stone to the shoulder plate would have been Benjamin. Now, what's interesting though, in verse uh, 21, it talks about the stones in the breastplate. And it says there that it's not according to birth, but it's according to, to uh, the names. What I'm, why am I doing this? Because I'm trying to identify what these stones mean in Revelation. The only way that I can do that is by going back and looking at these stones in the book of Exodus. Now, the stones on the shoulder are by birth, starting with Reuben to Benjamin. But on the breastplate, it is by names or by tribes. And you've got to go to Numbers 2, chapter 2, and Numbers chapter 10 to determine the list of names by tribe. And it doesn't start with Reuben. Okay, you with me here? And it doesn't end with Benjamin. Go over with me to the book of Revelation now. Having said that, I hope I haven't confused you totally. 
I am trying to identify these stones. Revelation 4. The Bible says that the one that's sitting on the throne looks like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now, if it's by birth, then the sardine stone represents Reuben. Okay? The jasper stone. Oh, excuse me. He that set upon like a jasper stone. Jasper would be Reuben. First stone listed here. And then the sardine stone would be Benjamin. You with me? And then the fourth stone is the emerald. That would be Judah. If it's by birth, these stones represent Reuben, Benjamin, and Judah. But if it's by name, then the first stone here, if you look at your Bible, it says, recorded here in verse 3, Jasper. Say Jasper. If you look in, Genesis, in Numbers 10, Jasper, or the, the tribe listed there, is Naphtali. Okay? And then it says Jasper, and then the Sardin stone. If you look at it by tribes in Numbers 10, the Sardin stone is Judah. Okay? Are you with me here? And then it talks about this rainbow looks like an emerald. If you look at it by tribes or by names, then that stone is Reuben. So Jasper, Naphtali. Are you here with me? Sardin stone, Judah. And then the emerald stone is Reuben. Now, that can be very confusing. Because you're talking about the stones on the shoulders. You're talking about the stones on the breastplate and how they're listed and what names were placed on those stones. Very difficult to, to determine how they were recorded. Was it by birth, beginning with Reuben, going all the way through Benjamin? Or was it by name? You with me here? And going that way. Well, the Bible says in Exodus 28, it's by name on the breastplate, but by birth on the shoulder stones. Okay. Most commentaries that you read on the book of Revelation will automatically jump to the conclusion that these stones are by birth here. That we're talking about, uh, when we talk about the, let me get back here in verse 4. We talk about the Jasper stone. We are talking about Reuben. And we talk about the uh, Sardin stone. We are talking about Benjamin. And we talk about the emerald around the throne. We're talking about Judah. They automatically come to that conclusion. What I'm trying to tell you is that these stones may be uh, different. It may be not... Uh, you with me here? Not Reuben, Benjamin, and Judah here. That's showed, depicted. But it may be Naphtali. Say with me, Naphtali, Judah, and then Reuben. Okay, just to point that out to you. I know that can be very confusing. But that's the way the one on the throne looks. Okay? Now, according to the Word of God, it's by names on the breastplate and by birth on the shoulder stones. But if you study Jewish scholarship on the subject, you will find that even they have a difference of opinion as to whether or not the stones on the breastplate were listed by birth or by name. And so we're talking about scholarship that dates back, way, way back. They have a problem determining the name. So I'm trying to explain to you it's very difficult to understand exactly what he's saying here. Okay? Praise God. Let me just give it to you this way. If the jasper speaks of Reuben all right or if it if the uh the um 
Hello. Emerald speaks of Reuben. Let's just talk about the son Reuben. All right? Let's make it easy on me and you. Let's talk about Reuben here. All right? I know we have Reuben here, and I know that we have Judah here, regardless of the, the order of the stones, okay? Because either way you go at it, birth or by name, you're still going to have those two, Reuben and Judah here. The only difference is if you go by name and not by birth, you do away with Benjamin and you put Naphtali there. Does that make sense to you? All right. Now, so let's just talk about these sons. Reuben is the firstborn son. So when I see the one sitting on the throne, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, I see, number one, he is depicting Reuben to us. He is depicting for us the firstborn son of God. But he's also calling Reuben to the throne. You understand that? All right? So number one, it speaks of Jesus and then secondarily, it speaks of a people who are like Reuben. The firstborn sons of God. Reuben means to see. When Leah had Reuben, are you with me here? She said, see, I have got a son. She called him Reuben and there was a great celebration that Reuben had been born the firstborn son to Jacob. Whose name means see. Or he is the son of vision. So number one, Jesus is the firstborn son of God. He represents many sons that will come into the kingdom. He represents the one who must be seen on the throne. And if he's seen on the throne, the firstborn son of God, those people that see him are sons of vision. Which means they have a revelation of the one sitting on the throne. But keep in mind in Revelation 3 that the one sitting on the throne invites the overcomers in the church to sit with him in that throne also. So that Reuben speaks of the one on the throne, God, Jesus. But it also speaks of a people who have been invited to sit in the throne with him. It's a picture of a corporate body of people who are like Reuben. Amen. Are you with me here? Reuben not only was the firstborn son of Jacob, not only is he the son of vision, but he is also, because he's the firstborn, could have received or, or should have received a double portion. Because the firstborn son's inheritance was twice as much as anybody else in the house. So he would get a double portion. Reuben had a right to the double portion. What does that mean? That as the firstborn son, Reuben, should have been the king of Israel. He should have also been the high priest of Israel. And he should have received the birthright. There should not have been a division in the king and the priest. Reuben should have been a king and a priest from the start. But because of Reuben's sin, he was disqualified from being a king or, or the kingly lion, the lion, the kingly lion, and he was disqualified from being in the priestly line. 
and God took the kingly line and he gave it to Judah. He took the priestly line and he gave it to Levi. And so the lines of priest and king were divided throughout the Old Testament. Do you understand that? Because Reuben sinned against God. We're not going to get into details as the way he sinned. But he sinned against God, so he disqualified himself. All right? Praise the Lord. Also, when you study the tribes and prophecies that are spoken concerning these tribes, you will find that Reuben, the firstborn son, the son of vision, who lost his ability to have the kingly line and priestly line because of sin, it is also said about Reuben that he is unstable as water. You cannot count on Reuben. He is a son. He hasn't lost his place of sonship. But he's a very unstable son. You can't build on him. He's too wishy-washy. He's too uh, inconsistent. He's unstable. He's like water. All right. Always changing in temperature. Always changing with the environment. The wind blows and so the water moves. You know, whatever happening in the environment is going to affect the water. And so water is very unstable. See, right now it's level in this glass. But I just got to move it a little bit and it changes its placement. And so what we have in Reuben is a man who is unstable as water. You can't depend on him. You can't build on him. He's inconsistent. Hello, somebody. And what we need to have happen here is the removal of the old Reuben in our lives. Because every one of us in this house today, you may be a son of God, but how stable are you? Do you have stability in your life? Do you have consistency in your walk with God? Do you understand? We can be disqualified from our king priest ministry because of sin and instability in our life. The Holy Ghost is talking to some of us today. See, a lot of people think, well, just because they're a child of, of, of God, that they're automatically going to walk in the king priest type ministry. And it doesn't matter how, you know, stable they are or how committed they are, or how loyal. God is showing us by the sons that that's not true. But I do believe this, that God is a qualifying God. He's a qualifying God, so watch what he does. He calls an unstable Reuben who has sinned away his ability to be a king priest. He calls that kind of people to his throne and says, overcome. And if you will overcome, I will grant you even, Reuben, to sit in the throne with me. I'll, grant, I'll take your instability. I'll take your sin. I'll remove your Reuben. I'll take your instability and your sin and call you to the throne. So he's calling a people who are like Reuben to be delivered from Reuben's tendencies and to come forth and be like the firstborn son with a king priest ministry which represents Jesus Christ and his throne. Do you understand that? Give God some praise. What we see in this throne then because the one sitting on the throne looks like what? Jasper. He looks like who? Well, Naphtali, if you go by names, but Reuben, if you go by birth. 
But in, anyway, Reuben's going to be seen if it's the green emerald uh, rainbow around the throne. Okay, so I don't want to confuse you. He's there. Okay, that's the point. He's represented there. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful for that today. Because there are times when I'm unstable as water. There's times when there's things in my life that disqualify me. But my God calls me to the throne. And he says, if you'll overcome, I'll grant you to sit with my throne. Sit in my throne. Hello, somebody. All right. Now, let's talk about the other son that's represented here. We know for sure Judah. Judah became the kingly lion. Lion. He's also known, Jesus is known as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has the right to be the king through Judah because Judah was the kingly lion. So Judah is called to mount up upon the throne of which he represents the king. Amen. His name also means praise. So the people that are going to be called to this throne are worshipers. They're going to create an atmosphere of green by their worship and by their praise. Judah means praise. If you want to get in the throne room, the way you get in the throne room is by worshiping him and praising him. And you can reign as a king. In your praise, because the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. Or he is literally enthroned on the praise. So when you raise him, come on. When you praise him, you raise him. When you praise him, he's enthroned on that praise. So when we come in here, we're not just a bunch of crazy fanatics. Who've lost their mind. We, un yeah, in a sense we have, <laughs> but we are people who understand and we've got a revelation of Judah. We've got a revelation of who we are, that we are kings unto God. We've got a revelation that every time we praise him, we raise him. Every time we praise him, he's enthroned on that praise. We're not crazy. We're just not dead. We're alive. We're a throne people. We're a people who reign in praise and worship unto him. So if you don't feel like praising him today, if you'll worship him, he will be enthroned. You'll literally, come on somebody, you'll make a throne as you worship him. So Judah is seen sitting on the throne with, are you with me? A Judah type people are seen sitting on the throne with him. And they're worshipers. And that's why Revelation 15 I read to you. He said the reason for his judgment is that all nations would come and worship him. That all nations would bow down before him. That a people who are kings would take their crowns and throw them at the true king's feet. Listen. And having thrown their crowns at the true king's feet, they are surrendering their kingdoms. They are surrendering their dominions for his lordship, his kingdom, his kingship, and his dominion. That's why we cast our crowns at his feet. Because we're surrendering our own kingdoms for the true king of kings and lord of lords. And we are part of the nations who are called to worship him. Give God some praise. Now if Benjamin is... 
Jasper. Yeah, Jasper was the last recorded birth in the list. If Benjamin is Jasper and Reuben is Sardin, come on. That was the first recorded name in the list in Exodus 28. And if the fourth, okay, the emerald is Judah, then we're right on here, okay? Praise God. And I know Reuben Judah is there regardless. I pray I'm not confusing you. I don't know why God does that. It makes it so simple. He just, you know, just the same way you did it up here, just do it here. Well, maybe he did. I don't know. But God, I'm just, praise the Lord. But that's God. Hallelujah. And there's a reason why he does things like that. But listen, if Reuben is the Jasper, no, no, no. See, I get confused. Jasper is the last one recorded in Exodus, but it's the first one recorded in Revelation. If Reuben, come on, somebody. If Reuben is Sardin and Benjamin is Jasper, we've already talked about Judah. He's possibly the emerald, okay? But he could be also the uh, Sardin stone. Okay, I know I'm confusing you. I'm getting confused too, so don't feel bad. Anyway, let's talk about the sons. That's what I need to do. If Benjamin is here in these three stones though, okay? Let's say that Benjamin is the Jasper stone. The last one recorded in Exodus 28. All right? Going back, I probably said something about Reuben being the Jasper stone. But really, Reuben should be the Sardin stone and uh, 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 Benjamin should be the Jasper stone according to Exodus 28 listing by birth okay so let's clear that up all right and the fourth stone by birth would be Judah the emerald okay by birth all right so we got that clear right you all clear now okay hallelujah if Benjamin is seen here and the Jasper stone say Jasper then Benjamin means the son of my right hand. And Benjamin's being called to the throne. Now watch this. I'm going to talk to you about the coat of many colors. I'm going to talk to you about the rainbow with seven colors in its spectrum. I'm going to show you that the coat of many colors is a rainbow coat that God gave to Joseph. Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. But listen, Joseph was the one who called Benjamin to the throne hang with me here so that Jesus is sitting on the throne but he's calling a son to the throne who are under governors and tutors who don't uh, don't know who they are they are Benjamins the son of the right hand that are called by Joseph to the throne are you with me here they represent a, a group of people who are sons that are called to the throne by Joseph do you understand that? Okay. Now, now, are you confused? Okay. All right. But if Benjamin, he might not even be in this picture. And then we have to go and we have to talk about another son, Naphtali. And Naphtali would have been the Jasper stone according to, to name. Okay. You with me? According to name. Hallelujah. Instead of Jasper being Benjamin, then he would have been Naphtali by name. Hallelujah. Okay. Naphtali, then if we look at Naphtali, what's his relation to the throne? Well, Naphtali is a hind let loose. When he was born, his name literally means to wrestle. 
Okay? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. God is wrestling with you. He's wrestling with me. His name means to wrestle. You're in a struggle. You're in a wrestle. You got to fight. Okay? But he's also in his prophecies that are given to his name. He's called a hind let loose. Psalm 22, it says that that psalm was to be played upon a particular instrument, which means the hind of the morning. And Psalm 22 speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That when Jesus comes forth, he's like the hind of the morning. That speaks to his resurrection life coming forth out of death, okay? So even Naphtali speaks of resurrection life. All right, amen. So now that you're totally confused, what I'm trying to show you are these people are called to the throne. And they have all kinds of characteristics. And by the time you get through the book of Revelation, you're going to see all 12. All 12. And they are a people, not just natural Israel, but they are depicting a people. Are you here today? Okay, so Reuben is the firstborn son who is the, the son of vision. He's unstable as water. He was disqualified by his sin. Come on, somebody. But he is still called to the throne of God. By grace, he can be restored to the throne. Benjamin, if he's seen in this chapter here, Benjamin is the son of my right hand, the son of power. And he is the one that was called by Joseph to the throne. He depicts a group of people who are the sons under governors and tutors who have no idea who they are, but they are called to sit on the throne with Joseph or Jesus. Judah. Judah are the praisers and the kingly line. They are the worshipers. They are the nations that come forth and bow down before him and praise him and cast their crowns at his feet, surrendering their dominion and their kingdom. Hallelujah. Woo, praise God. Give God some worship. Naphtali. If Naphtali is seen here, then Naphtali are those people who are wrestling and who have been wrestled with and who are loosed from their bondage of sin and loosed from their graves of death who come forth to rise up and be summoned to the throne of God. Hallelujah, somebody. Give God some praise. And so that's the one sitting on the throne, but he is invited. I'm going to give you the verse so you don't think I'm... You know, off here. Okay, look at chapter 3. Verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. So he's calling us to the throne. The throne speaks of his glory. The throne speaks of his judgment. The throne here speaks of his grace. It's a mercy seat. It also speaks of his judgment. It speaks of his glory. So he says, to him that overcometh. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne? It's not just a throne that Jesus is going to sit on. It's a throne that he's calling us to. But he's calling overcomers to that throne. Do you understand that? And he says this, Even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. You're going to have to overcome. You're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. There's nothing about passive Christianity in any of this. There's nothing about passive Christianity anywhere in this Bible. It's a call to people who have to overcome, who have to Nike. They have to overcome. They have to conquer. 
You can never get passive. If you ever get passive, the enemy is going to take you over. Watch this. And you will become subdued by his kingdom, by his throne. But the Lord is calling us. There's a battle between the throne of Satan and the throne of Jesus here. And he's calling people to his throne. Jesus is. But they are overcomers. But Satan also wants to dominate you and lordship over you and rule your life. But if you'll overcome him and conquer the, all these things, all these spirits, and all these false doctrines, then you will sit with him in his throne. But it's not automatic. It's not passive. Now listen. Having said that, let me confuse you more. There is a definitive, progressive, and an ultimate fulfillment to all these things in the book of Revelation. When you talk about definitive, let me talk about, the Bible says, Ephesians 1, that we are seated together in Him, in heavenly places. As soon as you got born again, you already seated on the throne. You didn't hear me. And heaven is not geographical. Heaven is in Him. So when I got born again, guess what? I'm today, I'm seated together in Him, in heaven. Are you with me? In heaven, in Him. So heaven is located in a person. In the spirit, I'm already in the throne. And progressively, I am moving into that place of being in the throne. Every time I worship in Him, I go into the throne room. I praise and I worship Him. I enter into the throne room progressively every time we gather together as a church we're moving into the throne room progressively we are being enthroned isn't that strange that we're already there but progressively also there it's kind of like this i got saved in my spirit i am being saved and i will be saved how can i already be saved and be it be in the process of being saved and then ultimately be saved because that's the way salvation works I am saved, will be saved. Come on, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. I'm in the throne, I will, come on. I will be in the throne, and ultimately I will be in the throne. Come on. Did that make sense? It's a progressive. So there's the definitive, I'm already there. There's a progressive outworking of this in my life by overcoming and walking with Him. And then there's the ultimate fulfillment of it, the physical standing in the throne room of God Himself. Do you understand these things? That's why I can preach the book of Revelation and just go on and on and on because it has a threefold teaching to it. But I'm trying to focus on, right now, redemption and the ultimate fulfillment of it. Okay. Did that confuse you more? Look at your neighbor and say, you're already on the throne. If you're born again. And then tell them you're not there yet. Oh, that's, see. In the spirit I am. But my soul's not there yet. My spirit's there, but my soul's not there. My spirit is already saved. My soul is being saved. And my body will be saved. So in the spirit, I'm already on the throne. My soul is not there yet. I've got to get my soul where my spirit is. That's why I have to overcome. I have to overcome in the soul realm. And if I get my soul where my spirit is, that's how I am progressively on the throne. 
and then Sunday when my spirit and my soul cooperate together they affect the body and someday my body will be seen sitting on the throne with him that's how you have uh, already been and will be spirit soul and body my spirit don't need to ascend the throne my spirit is the most holy place my spirit is the throne of God the problem is between my ears the problem is between your ears it's called your soul it's called your mind your will and your emotions yeah well come on your body's not glorified yet is it look at your neighbor and make sure they're not glorified yeah looks like everybody's yeah look look will you look and see if pastor's glorified he, he don't know So you need to understand this, okay, am, okay, I am saved, will be saved, uh, I am saved, what's this? I'm, I am saved, hallelujah, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. That's called sanctification. Sanctification is how you are in process of being saved, ultimately with a glorified body. So do you understand this? That's why I can preach the book of Revelation in a he which was and is and is to come aspect. Because it's there. It's there. Do you understand? Okay. So now that I've confused you even more. Let's talk about this though. So I'm trying to show you that right now you can ascend up to the throne room in the spirit. Right now you can... Get your soul in that same place by overcoming. Okay? Which leaves one thing. Your body. But even your body is affected. You get in that place, you start radiating the glory of God. And people can literally see the glory of God on your face. They'll walk up to you and say, hey man, you're shining like a light bulb. What is that? That's God's radiance. That's God's glory. You've been behind the veil. You stood before him in his throne. You've got glory on your face. Radiance of God. Okay. But everybody here knows that's a reality that you move in at times, right? And your spirit's already there. But progressively, your soul is getting there. You know what your soul is? Your mind, will, and your emotions. It's what gives you so much trouble. It's called flesh. It's what gives you so much trouble and me so much trouble. My body, hey, my body's a good thing. God gave me this body. There's nothing wrong with this body. People want to act like there's something evil with this body. There's nothing evil with this body. When the soul, the mind gets the same place the spirit it already is, the body's going to be glorified. There's nothing wrong with this body. God has a plan to save the body, soul, and spirit of man. Okay, now having said that, we see a rainbow around the throne. And it's in the sight of emerald. It's green. Sea green, or like the sea, like the water. Isn't that interesting? If the Well, here we go. I'm going to go back there. Hallelujah. But anyway, it can speak of the water, and it can speak of life, because green speaks of life. But let's talk about the rainbow. This Greek word here is iris. Say iris like in the eyeball. 
In the book of Genesis, the word rainbow or bow is not iris. The Greek translation of the Old Testament for bow is toxon. Say toxon. And it's very interesting that the rider on the white horse comes forth with a bow in his hand. And the word bow is, oh yeah, the bow is toxon. It's connected to the rainbow. That rider that's riding forth on a white horse is a covenant man. Well, that blew some of your mind. My point is this. Either way you look at it, toxon, rainbow or bow, speaks of God's war bow. Here it's called iris bow. Hallelujah. So in a sense, this bow here has been changed from a war bow and it's facing upward. It's pointing up to him and not on you. Why? Because it's a throne of grace. Because he took the arrows for you on the cross and died for you. So now he doesn't have to point his bow at war against you. Now it's upwards heavenly like this. Because Jesus took the arrows for you. And that's what gets you in the throne. That's what gets Reuben in the throne. That's what gets Benjamin in the throne. That's what gets Naphtali in the throne. That's what gets Judah in the throne. Is the work of salvation and redemption. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you here? Okay. So just say rainbow. Hallelujah. Let's go to Genesis. Let's talk about the bow. This bow. You remember the story of Noah, right? You remember the story of Joseph. The rainbow is seen in all of it. In Genesis chapter 9. Hello. The bow speaks of judgment. It speaks of grace. And it speaks of covenant. These people that are around the throne are people who are in covenant with Jesus. Are you awake? How many colors are in the rainbow? Seven colors on the spectrum. You with me? The spectrum. Oh, yeah, I can see. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Lord, help me to preach to these people. Let me get it down to where we can all understand it, including the pastor. There are seven colors in the spectrum of the rainbow. Do you understand that? Now, it starts with red and it ends with violet. Foundation is red. Oh, look up here at me. I'm not on the ground. Look up here at me. Starts with the red. Oh, yeah, you upset with me? Yeah, go ahead. You start with the red foundation and you end with violet or purple, which is what? Throne. Royalty. No wonder there's a rainbow round about the throne because he shows you you start from red redemption and you go all the way up into eventually ending up into royalty or kingship. Red is the starting point. It's the foundation. It's the lowest vibration. It reaches down to fallen Adam and raises him up to the purple of the throne. And every one of those colors in between the red and the violet speak to you of levels of salvation. 
My spirit has already experienced the ultimate, but my soul is moving in levels of salvation until finally my soul gets in the throne room, beholding His glory. My woman is saved. My woman is converted and my body glorified. But there are seven levels of salvation for all of us. But it starts foundationally. In that instant, we're talking about the temple. Foundationally, it starts with red or redemption. And it's how God reached down, and it's the lowest vibration on the spectrum. And the way that you get this light, you have to color in the light, is you have to bend the light. And when you bend the light, then what happens when the light is bent through a spectrum, then you see the colors of the light. Are you awake today? It's by bending the light that you see the colors. Red through violet. Now watch this. Hang in here. Hang in here. All right? Y'all with me still? Look at every say there are seven levels of salvation. In the rainbow. When you talk about, you know, and that, I, that doesn't include black because black's all of them together. And that doesn't include white. So really there's nine if you add those two to them. You know, it'll make you messed up even more than you are. Praise the Lord. So look at this. There's seven levels of salvation throughout the Bible. The rainbow speaks of the covenant, speaks of judgment, it speaks of grace. And there are seven covenants of God. And it shows God's work in redeeming mankind progressively through time. You understand? And then if you were to look at the tabernacle of God, you've got seven pieces of furniture that you progressively walk through in order to get to the throne room. The mercy seat is the seventh piece of furniture. Watch this. Are y'all still, are y'all with me? When you see this throne and people who are called to this throne, that's what he's doing for you. He's calling you to the highest level of spiritual walking. In the spirit and ultimately physically you'll you'll be in the throne with him okay seven covenants which progressively bring man into that place of the kingdom and then you have seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle and you start with the brazen altar that speaks of the red the blood and you progressively go from the altar which speaks of the blood that was shed for you you go hallelujah go to the labor with water in it which speaks of water baptism in the name of Jesus you go from the labor of water you enter into the holy place the power of Pentecost you get filled with the Holy Ghost and over on the right side there's a table of showbread and the table of showbread talks about the fellowship of ministry or the fellowship of the body or the ministry of the body Two things, remember, tabernacle speaks of Jesus and it speaks of the church. Hello. He fulfilled all of it himself. But we progressively are walking through this. We go through, we experience the blood. We get, get water baptized in Jesus' name. We go over here, we see the table of showbread. That's the ministry of the body to each other. And then over on the left-hand side, you got the, the uh, golden candlestick or the candelabra. And it's got all these, this oil and this, 
gold. It speaks of deity, the Holy Ghost. It speaks of people who walk in the gifts, the fruit, the anointing of God's Spirit. Who are people who are what? Lights of the world. They are reflecting the true light. Reflect, yeah, okay. We'll just live with that for now. And then you go from there. By the way, I'm up here on the wall. You go from there to the altar of incense. And the altar of incense is right before the veil. In the Old Testament, it says it was behind the veil. Interesting, isn't it? That the Bible talks about it being before the veil. And then in Hebrews, it talks about being behind the veil. He's showing you that your worship gets you beyond the veil. And the veil that you've got to get beyond is your flesh. And the way you get your flesh beyond the veil is by prayer and worship unto God. The incense going before his throne. But you've got a veil right now. There's a veil over your mind. That's why there has to be a revelation of Jesus. A removing of the veil that he might be seen. And so as you're worshiping and you're praising God, you go on beyond that in behind the veil and you see the throne of God himself. You see the Ark of the Covenant. That's the sixth piece of furniture. Say the Ark of what? The Covenant. The throne of God himself. And then upon the top of that, you see a mercy seat. That's the seventh piece of furniture. And on the mercy seat, there are two cherubim. Really, the Bible talks about there's always four cherubim or seraphim around the throne. Or hayotes or the living ones. Always says there's four. But when you see it from this vantage point, all you can see is two. But there are four that are there. They're called cherubim. Or living ones are beasts in Revelation. And we're going to see that. They're there in Revelation 4. They are animals that speak of sacrifice. Come on, are you with me here? But when you see them from a certain point of view, you only see two of them. But there's four. And they're called cherubim in the scripture. And they're all called, also called seraphim. Ooh, is it that interesting? Do you have an order of cherubim and an order of seraphim? Now, that's possible. The cherubim is at one level and the seraphim may be above. That's possible. But it also could be that the cherubim here are also seraphim. Seraphim simply means to radiate or to burn. So these cherubims are seen in their seraphim quality because they burn, they radiate the fire of God. Did that make sense to you? Did you get that? That the cherubim have a seraphim quality, a fire burning. You understand? Okay, so that's the seventh piece. It's the mercy seat, about 700 pounds of solid gold, set up there on the Ark of the Covenant. It speaks of the throne of God, and that's where he put his feet. He put his feet right there, and he sat above the cherubim. Are you with me here? And so when you see Jesus on the throne, then you see him enthroned. And you got these living creatures around about the throne. But you got a rainbow around the throne also. Are you here? And next week I'll talk about these living creatures. I'll talk about what they look like. I'll talk about how they move and all that stuff. And I'll show you how it represents a people. And yeah, they're real. But they represent a people. Because they're not just around the throne. They're in the throne. They're in the midst of the throne. And there's a people who are invited to that throne to sit with Jesus in that throne. 
And so those living creatures are seen not only around the throne, but seen in the throne. Are you getting this? Just get what you can, take what you can. Some of you don't even know who, what the name of God is. You don't even know, some of you for the first time, you heard Jesus this morning. That's okay. I understand where you are. But God's trying to show you there's a level of salvation. And He wants to take you all the way to the throne. Some of you came in here. You don't know anything about the Word of God. You couldn't even find the book of Revelation. Because you don't even know what it is. But hey, guess what? God's trying to open up something to you. He tried to show you an awesome level that you could get to. And by the way, if you had a hard time finding the book of Revelation, don't feel bad I did too. What I mean by that is I'm not trying to put you down by that. What I'm telling is I know where you are. Some of you are in ABCs and I'm preaching over here. I'm, pre I'm preaching very, very high things and very deep things. It's hard for us to grasp sometimes. Are you with me here? We're trying, God's giving you pictures. He's giving you a rainbow picture. He's giving you a tabernacle picture. He's giving you covenant pictures to show how he's progressively moving man from one place, a place of fallenness, to a place of restoration and redemption. And that restoration is by redemption all the way back to the throne of God. Hello, somebody. Let's go talk about this bow, all right? Praise the Lord. I'm going to have to hurry. Hallelujah. In Genesis 9. And while you're turning there, I think I'll just talk to you a little bit while you're turning there. Hallelujah. I got 20 minutes to go. That's all I got. I got 20 minutes to finish a three-hour message. But don't worry, I'm going to quit 20 minutes. I'm quitting whether I'm finished or not. I made up my mind. Hallelujah. Isn't God good to give us pictures? To give us a rainbow with a spectrum of light and its seven colors? To give us seven covenants show how God progressively moves fallen man into a place of ultimate completion and fulfillment and fullness to the throne. And then he talks about the ark and the flood in the Old Testament talks about a rainbow there and what that all means. And then he goes over in Genesis 37 and he talks about a man who got a rainbow coat. And he gives you all these pictures so you'll understand so you can't miss it. Amen. God's good. And I don't have time to give you all the scriptures, but read Genesis 7 through 9, and you'll find out that the Bible talks about Yahweh, yod heh vav -Hey, God. God, in that type of movement, required that Noah bring seven pairs of the clean animals in the ark. Not just a pair, but seven pairs of clean. You know why? Because Yahweh wants a sacrifice. And as you read along, then it talks about, he says, bring by two. He's not called Yahweh there. He's called Elohim, which means this. He's the God of creation. All he's concerned about as the God of creation is reproduction. The God of creation walks in this house and wants you to reproduce. But the God of sacrifice re 
requires a sacrifice for us to be in fellowship with him. He's Yahweh. He demands that sin be judged. And then when you get to Genesis 8, having said all of that, Genesis 8, the Bible says, praise God, in verse 21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Verse 21 says that the Lord smelt a sweet-smelling savor. He smelt the sacrifice. When he smelt the sacrifice, it did something to the heart of God. He said, I'm no longer going to curse the earth. And having said that, of course, the ark rested on Mount Ararat, which means the curse is reversed. And Jesus is that ark of God. He's the true ark of God. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let me, let me, let me talk to you a minute. The ark rested on Mount Ararat, which means the curse is reversed. Do you understand? They came out and offered sacrifice unto God, which touched the heart of God. And he said, I'm no longer going to curse the earth anymore. Hallelujah. I'm not going to judge the world by water. It is reserved by for fire the next time. Jesus is the true ark of God. Three levels in the ark. Death, burial, resurrection. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But only one ark, one God. Not three arks. One God manifested in three ways. No such thing as a doctrine of a trinity. It's not Bible. There's only one ark. There's three levels in that ark. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. One God manifests three ways, not three different separate arks. If you're still Trinitarian, God knows it today. Not Bible. That ark speaks of Jesus. He is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Only one ark. Now watch this. The ark was the way that Noah and his family got out of one world into another world. It's the way he got out of one age into the age, to another age. It is the vehicle out of one age to a new age. The world of fallen man into the world of what? A new age, a new world. Now watch this. You remember the story? The story, the Bible says, that Noah sends forth a, do a dove. And the dove flies, and he flies, and he flies. Yeah, come on. And I'm talking about the ultimate ending of this story. The dove flies. He goes all the way. He flies. Where, how far does he fly? He flew all the way to the Mount of Olives. Watch this. He got, a, he got an olive leaf in his beak, and he brought it back to Noah, the Mount of Olives. Then Noah let him go free, and he flew, and he flew, and he flew, and he never returned. You know why? He flew, and he flew, and he flew. Until one day in the River Jordan, when Jesus goes down in the water, the Bible says when he comes up, a spirit like a dove descends upon him. You know what? The dove that flowed from Noah's ark flew all the way to Jesus. And he said, he is the true ark. He's the vehicle. He's the way of salvation. He is the fulfillment of the ark of Noah. 
And then you know that story how he also sent out a raven. And that raven didn't come back. You know why? Because the raven likes to feed on flesh. It feeds on carnality. It feeds on death. And so it went and found a dead carcass somewhere and fed on that. And then it flew. And guess where it flew? It flew and it flew and it flew. And it went beyond the New Testament Gospels where the dove landed on Jesus in the River Jordan showing that he's the true ark. It flew all the way to the book of Revelation. And in chapter 18, the Bible talks about Babylon is a habitation of every unclean and hateful bird. It flew all the way to Babylon. Now, God's trying to show you something here. Are you a person of the Spirit? Or are you a person of the flesh? Yeah, come on, somebody. And then in Genesis 9, we see that when the flood resides... The Bible said, and God blessed the Lord, verse 1, His sons, and said unto him, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast. God wants you to reproduce. He don't want you just to be a church person. He wants you to be a kingdom person. Reproducing. A seed in this earth for him. Come on, are you with me today? Of people who have been brought out of their old lifestyle of sin and death and condemnation and brought into a new life a new age of redemption and salvation by the blood of Jesus but he wants you to reproduce okay now watch this the fear of you verse 2 the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth upon every fowl of the air upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fish of the sea into your hand are they delivered so number one he said I want you to reproduce because you're a covenant people. Thank you. You're a covenant people and covenant people reproduce. I want you to reproduce and I want you to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and the creeping things on the earth. Genesis 1, he said the same thing to man. He gave dominion to us. So, dominion is connected to the kingdom. Dominion, kingdom. The king's dominion. So in the kingdom or the king's dominion, he has a people who reproduce themselves, who have dominion. Watch this. If you just talk about the creeping things, the lizards and, you know, they stick their tongue out, snakes. and Come on. The creeping things. Let me just bring it into spiritual reality for you. You know, does that mean I'm supposed to go out there and ride an alligator? Or a lizard? Or dinosaur? <clears throat> Maybe they did. I don't know. <clears throat> well, spiritually speaking, you are supposed to reproduce in the earth a godly seed. Not just be a church member, but a person who's involved in the harvest. And not only that, you're supposed to have dominion over the creeping things of the earth. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ha- i got to get dominion over the creepy things inside of me. Look at your neighbor and say, you got some creeps in you. You're supposed to have dominion over the creepy things inside of you. You're supposed to be reproducing in a kingdom. You are a new, you are a new creation, people. 
who are reproducing the seed of God in this earth. Now hang on to that. Hang on to that. You know, the enemy's not supposed to have dominion over you. You're supposed to have dominion over it. You're supposed to have dominion over Leviathan that's in the sea. A seven-headed serpent. You're supposed to walk on him. That's why Jesus, when he came walking on the water, he walked on the water. But what was in that water? That was the residence of Leviathan, that seven-headed serpent. And Jesus walked on his head. You're supposed to walk on the water and have dominion over the serpent. You're supposed to have the dominion over the creeping things in your life. You're supposed to have dominion over the carnal birds, the hateful birds, the flesh in your life. Supposed to be a people who reign. Now, having said all of that, I think I got about 10 minutes. He said in verse 9, I'll behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Covenant. Covenant speaks of covenant. And with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, the cattle, of every beast of the earth, with you. If they're with you, from all that go out of the earth to every beast of the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant, the sign of the covenant, which I make between you and me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud. Hello, clouds. There is a people who have the covenant working in them. You are the clouds. I'll say the prophet said, who are these? Who are these clouds that fly like the wind to their window? You are the cloud in which the covenant rainbow appears. God is trying to manifest his covenant in and through you. So you can reproduce in this earth and have dominion in this earth. He puts his bow in the cloud. I'm looking at you. People who have the covenant working out of them. And watch this. Yes, yes. Oh, this is good. And God said, this is the token of the covenant, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. That's interesting to me because the word living creature, and God just showed this to me. The word living creature is used in Revelation 4. This earth. He puts his bow in the cloud. I'm looking at you. People who have the covenant working out of them. Now watch this. Yes, yes. Oh, this is good. And God said, this is the token of the covenant, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. That's interesting to me because the word living creature, and God just showed this to me. The word living creature is used in Revelation 4. And so we have living creatures that are with us. They represent redeemed mankind. Who've made it to the throne of God. He said, I do set my bow in the cloud. It shall be for a token of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth. That the bow shall be seen in the cloud. Now I will remember my covenant with it. Which is between me and you. And every living creature of all flesh. The water shall no more become a flood. To destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it. 
that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. So there's a covenant people here who have a rainbow inside of them. You are a covenant people, and not only that, you have dominion, but not only that, it is that people who God remembers. He remembers me this morning. He remembers you this morning because you've got a bow inside of you. There's a bow in the cloud. And it appears after the storm has passed. This takes this Revelation 4 passage takes you way beyond the tribulation period. It shows you a time of tranquility and peace where God's people are ruling and reigning. They've made it past the storm. They made it through the time of judgment. They made it through the oh yeah, hallelujah. Now they're seated together with him physically in his throne. That's why in Matthew 24, Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. And that coming is linked to the rapture. And it's linked to, come on somebody, his peril and bono, his taking of, taking of us and receiving of us unto himself. Takes you beyond the judgment. Not before it. Beyond it. Are you with me here? That I may remember the everlasting covenant. In verse 7, God said, No, this is the token of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth to the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. Y'all got the point? Isn't God good? He placed that bow as a sign of covenant. He promised that those people who have covenant in them, in a cloud, come on somebody, are a people who are not going to be judged the way the rest of the world is judged. It's a people who will be remembered by God at his, as His very special people who are going to reproduce a Son of God seed in the earth. Give God some praise. Sister. Okay, I got, I got five minutes. Is oh hallelujah! Okay, hold, hold that up, hold that up for me, so I know where I am. Thank you, hallelujah. Okay, I'm I'm closing. I think I'm closing. In fact, I know I'm closing. Lord, what do I do? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Waste five minutes. Trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Oh, God, have mercy. Have mercy. Okay, I will proceed. Go with me to Genesis 37. I'm going to close. I got, I'm going to take 10. I might take 15. Okay, but no more than that. I still got, she said, I got 10 minutes. I might take 15, okay? Genesis 37, we see Joseph come forth. The Bible talks about this man, Joseph. Joseph, his daddy gave him a coat, a rainbow coat, a coat of many colors. What is so significant about Joseph? He is the favored son of his daddy. Stand for the throne. 
In fact, in this chapter 37, he has two dreams. And it's connected to a harvest. And one of them, the second dream he has, is he, he sees his brethren bowing down to him. His mama and his daddy bowing down to him. Which means he's destined for a throne. He's a son in covenant with his father. Favored by his father. Destined for the throne. And gets the rainbow coat as a sign of the covenant. Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. When he comes forth, his brethren look at him. They are jealous of him. He's had dreams that he's going to reign and they're going to bow down to him. And the brethren are jealous. Anybody that is destined for the throne of God, don't think it's going to be easy to get there. Whenever you, come on, when you declare that you're destined for a throne, you get ready because there's going to be some brethren. There's going to be some church people next to you that are going to be jealous of where you're headed. You're headed to the throne. And because your destiny is a throne, you've got to learn to overcome temptation. You've got to understand there's nothing worth getting in the way of your destiny. And what's inside of you should say no to the hearted that comes to you to try to make you bow down to her and sleep with her. Something inside of me says, I've got a destiny and I cannot give in to that sin. Something inside of me says, I've got a destiny. I've got to overcome this temptation. Because not only my brethren want to kill me, but I've got a harlot that wants to seduce me. And if I give in to my brother wanting to kill me and the harlot wanting to seduce me, I will not make it to the throne. That's why you've got to have something on the inside of you. When brethren hate you because of what God is doing in your life, you have the ability to overcome even that. You have to have the ability to overcome that har, that harlot, harlot that rides upon the scarlet color beast in the book of Revelation. Jesus came. He was the true Joseph. He was favored of God. He was in covenant with God. When he walked the earth, the religious people of his day hated him. The whore of his day tried to seduce him, but he could not be seduced. Why? Because he's a son of the Father. He's blessed. He's favored. He's got the coat. And when this dreamer comes forth, his brother looks at him. Don't even call him by name. Says, behold the dreamer. I, we need some people that will dream. We need some people that will have a an understanding of their destiny that will cause them to overcome everything that comes against them. Behold, this dreamer cometh. They took him, they threw him in a pit where there no water is. They took his coat of many colors. Now, come on, are you with me here? They robbed it. They stole it from him. But guess what? You can take the outward sign of that favor, but it doesn't mean you've lost that favor. They took the outward sign, but the favor was still there. God's good. You can take Jesus and strip him down, hang him on a cross, but he's still the favored son of God Almighty. He's the Joseph destined for the throne, hated by the brethren. Walking among the harlot in his day. Stripped of his coat by hanging him on a cross. But raised, destined for a throne. Coming out of the pit. Death, hell, in the grave. Conquering Satan by it. To sit upon the throne. To make a long story short. 
Joseph. Joseph is the son of many colors. And in my house right now, I've got a beautiful plate that somebody gave me. And so it's Jesus Christ. Lord, in a coat of many colors. I started out in Revelation 15 and read to you how, what the judgment's all about. is so that the, all nations would come and bow before him and worship him. Are you with me today? A calling of people to that place. And in that beautiful plate that was given me, with Jesus with this coat of many colors upon it. Beautiful colors all the way through that plate. Every one of them representing a nation. He's wearing the nations in his vesture. Give God some praise. And the whole, thank you, the whole reason why God allowed Joseph to go through what he went through. Because he was preparing the world for the famine that was going to come. He was making a way of salvation for the famine that was going to come. Seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of tribulation. But Jesus, come on, came. To prepare you for the famine that's about to come. Now Joseph didn't get kept. He wasn't kept out of the seven years of famine. He went through it. He went through the seven years of tribulation period. He was kept there by God. Secured by God. Protected by God. Provided for by God. Come on somebody. Now watch this. We used to preach this as a type of the pre-trib rapture. He took his Gentile bride. Joseph did. After being taken out of prison. He was placed on the throne. You with me? Based on the dream of the seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. After he was taken out of the, out of the place of, of the pit, out of the place of hell, out of the place of prison. After Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave. That is when he received his bride. That's when he received a Gentile bride. Her name was Asneth. She was a Gentile. She was an Egyptian, as far as I remember. Anyway, she's a Gentile. And so watch this. Jesus, when did he receive his bride? He received his bride after he conquered death, hell, and the grave and rose from the dead. Now watch this. We preach sometimes a pre-tribulational rapture and say, well, Joseph is a type of Jesus who takes his Gentile bride before the seven years of famine. He took his bride when he rose from the dead in the spirit. I said, Lord, how do we preach this? If the rest of the scripture is declaring that we go through the seven-year famine just like Joseph did. And just like Asneth did. That's what the scripture says. How do we preach this as happening before the seven-year famine? It did happen before the seven-year famine. The Lord spoke to me. He said, go and read it. I went and read it. He not only took his bride seven before the seven-year famine... He took his bride before the seven years of plenty. Are you telling me Jesus is going to rapture us 14 years before the end of the tribulation? You can't preach it that way. See, we love to conveniently skip over all the things, you know, the details like seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, 14 years. He took his bride before the seven years of plenty. He took his bride before the seven years of famine. He took his bride 14 years before the end of the famine. So I'm trying to tell you something. You can't use that as a pre-tribulation rapture. What I can tell you, though, is that when he came out of, out of prison, that's when he 
got the bride. That's when he got you and I. Guess what? We're going to go through a seven-year time of famine. Before that, a time of prosperity. But at, and then a time of famine. But at the end of that seven years of famine, come on, somebody. We're going to be in a place of glorification with the Lord in the kingdom because we made it through the time of judgment. Are you still awake out there? Awesome. Awesome. Joseph, to make a long story short, being sold by his brethren, put in that pit, then goes to a prison, brought out of the prison, placed on the throne, the type of Jesus Christ. When Joseph, watch this, when Joseph is sitting on the throne, he then calls for his brethren. When the brethren come, Benjamin doesn't come with them. And daddy doesn't come with them. At the end of their meeting, he says, go get Benjamin. Go get my father. And those brothers go back and get Benjamin, the son of the son of my right hand why Joseph why Jesus do you want Benjamin because Benjamin is the son of my right hand he's under governors and tutors right now he doesn't understand what his purpose is but I want him to sit with me in my throne there's a son in the earth that's going to sit on my throne with me said Joseph and they are my covenant people And the way you're going to find out what's significant about Benjamin is we're going to put the king's cup inside of the mouth of the sack of Benjamin. And if you, when you open that sack of the mouth, you're going to find an empty cup, a silver cup, which is the king's cup. The king drank the suffering. He drank it at the first, at the basis, the foundation of the red. He drank that cup of suffering so you wouldn't have to for sin. Now watch this. He redeemed us. The cup is empty. But the harlot has a cup full of abominations. And she's offering you a cup. Jesus is offering you a cup of redemption. The harlot's offering you a cup of abomination. She's offering you death. He's offering you life. He drank the cup of death for you. That's why when they found the cup in Benjamin's sack, it was an empty cup. Because he drank it. The king drank it. And so the king said, come on, go get Benjamin, bring it back. I've got to get him to my throne. There is a Benjamin type of people in the earth right now. The sons of power in the earth right now. That God is calling to the throne right now. They're under governors and tutors and don't have any idea who they are. But they are people who the king has taken the cup and drank it and offered an empty cup to you. Having said that, you need to understand that there may be a time when you go through a time of suffering. Joseph went through a time of suffering. Come on. His brother went through a time of suffering. Come on. Benjamin went through a time of suffering. There may be a time when you have to drink what's in that cup. Not for sin, but to get to the throne. You have to overcome. You have to overcome. You have to be willing to suffer as Joseph suffered. You have to be willing to, oh, you're not hearing me right now. But he's calling Reubens to the throne. He's calling Benjamins to the throne. He's calling Father. Father is in the throne. In fact, I am the Father manifested. Are you getting this? Okay, in closing, how much time do I got? Already expired my 10? 
Oh, just about. Oh, she said, just about. Do you see that? Which means I got a little more time. Matthew 24 in closing. Watch this. Right now we are experiencing in the Spirit all these things I've preached to you about in the Spirit. Overcoming the harlot. Overcoming the flesh. Overcoming brethren, false brethren among us. In fact, going back to the days of Noah, the Bible talks about that the daughters of men had relationships with the sons of God. The daughters of men are the seed of men. You know who the daughters of men, the seed of men are? Churches. Churches. And they produce giants in the land. You know who the giants are that are produced by the seed of man? There are churches that produce giants, mega ministries, who know not God. And the Bible says in the days of Noah, they were marrying and giving in marriage. That literally was happening. But I got news for you, it's happening in the spirit today. There are people who swap churches all the time. They are marrying and giving in marriage. They break covenant. And there are pastors who are not loyal to churches. They will prostitute themselves to the highest bidder. So they are marrying and giving in marriage. Come on, somebody. You need to get where God wants you and you need to stay there no matter hell, high water, what comes against you. You've got to learn to stick somewhere. I thought about Bishop Wagner. We went to his conference in, in Ohio. Bishop Wagner, his, his elders and his, his uh, men that are with him now. When he first started that church, a lot of those leaders in that church left. But the ones that are with him right now, have been with him 30 years 30 years his elders and his deacons they've stayed with him now God is using them powerfully you can't learn you can't prostitute yourself from one house to another and ever expect to be used by God you can't be married and given in marriage and expect to walk in a cabinet you got to be faithful to the cabinet of marriage you can't go and and, and be a pastor for a year and expect God to do anything for you. Man, you got to go through suffering. You got to drink the cup if you need to. I can't just quit you. You know, I've got offers lined up. They're always sending me mail. Would you come pastor our church? No, I'm joking. You know why? <laughs> Hello. And I have to tell him, no, I'm already married. I can't even flirt with you. You understand? Give God some praise. How many of you? Your marriage has been heaven on earth. <laughs> but you're still married, aren't you? Why is it every time there's a little, dis little discomfort in the church? people jump from one place to another now I'm not God's good he's good he's good I said he's good he's good he's good amen do you believe that tonight we don't need a mixture in the house we don't need the sons of God mingling with the seed of women the seed of men we don't need that mixture in the house of God we need a pure church, a covenant church, a bride of Jesus Christ that's faithful to that covenant. Now, if it's a large church and its foundation is right and its message is right and its king is right, more power to them. 
Because I don't believe God wants to bless little. I mean, He will bless little, but He wants the little to reproduce. So I don't want to stay little. I hope I pastor 20,000 people someday. But it has to be built right. Do you understand what I'm saying? There can't be this mixture stuff that's going on in the church. Because that's a sign of His coming. Now in closing, do I still have a little time? He said no. He was truthful. Okay, I'm going to close right after this. Matthew 24. Watch this. This is my last scripture. He said, I'm out of time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, y'all are there. Okay. When is this going to happen ultimately? Called up to the throne in an ultimate sense. Physically. We're moving it in spiritually. Okay. What's this? Well, I've been telling you. Look at the flood. Look at Joseph's life. You understand? Look at Noah's day, Matthew 24. Here we go. Is everybody awake? If you ever have an opportunity to get the first five messages in Re on Revelation on either CD or DVD, I will tell you they will bless your life immensely because they laid foundation for everything we're preaching right now, especially the one he cometh. You need to understand the words that are used and the timing of those events. But just to re refresh our memory just a little bit, Matthew 24. Is everybody there? Matthew 24. And we will start there in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now listen to me very carefully. The word coming there, the coming of the Son of Man. There are two words that are used in this particular area of Scripture. Urkomai and Perusia. Okay? The Urkomai of the Lord and the Perusia of the Lord are always His second coming to the earth. And that is the time that the rapture takes place. Not pre-tribulational, but after the tribulation, verse 29. After the tribulation, do you see his coming? Okay, you with me here? Not before. Now watch this. Watch this. But as there is no or so shall the coming of the Son of Man be, for as in the days that were before the flood, the Lord's trying to link you this throne vision with the time of the judgment of the flood. Okay, watch this. But he's still there. As in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. See that? Eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. I covered that a little bit. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. That word took literally means to be taken to judgment or to be taken by force. Watch this. Watch this. Okay, in connection to the coming of the Lord, his second coming to the earth. 
He talks about a people that will be taken to judgment. That's one aspect of the day of the Lord. The other one is the salvation of his righteous. Watch this. He goes on and he says this. Do not until the flood came and took them all away. The word's different. It's by force. It's the Greek word A-E-R-O. Took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be paralimbano. Shall be taken. It's a different word. The word paralimbano means taken here. Means to be received as a companion. John 14, 3. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare, prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Paralimbano you unto myself. The same word, receive. So in verse 39, we have a people who are taken to judgment at his coming. And it's the same time. And then at the same time of his coming, we have a people who are taken, paralimbano, received as a companion. It's at the same time. You hear that? Verse 41. Two women shall be grinding at the meal. The one shall be paralimbano. The other left. Right you hear? Watch therefore for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. It's a warning to you. Are you hearing me? And so he connects the days of Noah and this rainbow thrown situation with his coming. Urkoma and Perusia. When he judges the wicked and saves the righteous. Just as he did in the days of Noah. Just as he did in the days of Joseph. He will do it again. Hello. So I'm not confused anymore. As to when the ultimate fulfillment of our catching up to that throne. With the rainbow around the throne. One sitting on the throne like a jasper and a sardine stone. I am not confused. I know the timing of the event. And, and see, God is so good to me. Because he let me study pre-tribulational things for years. And then now, when I go back with a post-trib viewpoint of things, I, now I can ask God. I can say, God, wasn't Joseph, didn't Joseph take his Gentile bride before the seven years of famine? The Lord says, yes, he did. But you need to read. He actually took her even before that, before the seven years of plenty. You can't put a pre-trib rapture in that time. It's not there. What you, oh, come on. Hello, praise the Lord. How you going to do it now, honey? Can't do it. God's good. If you, don't, if you don't study it the wrong way, sometimes you don't know the questions to ask when you study the right way. Do you hear me? But God is an awesome God. And progressively through seven covenants, he's going to bring man to the throne. Progressively through that coat of many colors, there's going to be a Benjamin called the throne by Jesus. Come on. Progressively, there's seven levels of salvation all the way from the red, all the way up to the violet. It's seen in that rainbow and not only that but it's the place of intimacy for the bride and the last thing I'm going to share with you and I know I'm out of time but I have to do this what color is that rainbow around the throne is green right is emerald 
green. Let's go to Song of Solomon real quick, okay? And I don't have time to get into all the details here, but I have a series on the Song of Solomon that deals with it. It's called Kingdom, Kingdom Relationship. But just to show you this, watch this. Praise the Lord. Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Will y'all bear with me just for one more moment? Sister, how long have I been going? Do you have any idea now? Six minutes over. Boy, I, that is good. If you only knew how good that was. <laughs> I have about three hours worth of preaching here. That's why I didn't bring nothing up here with, with my Bible. And one little thing that talked about Jubin, Jubin and Reuben and all those guys. Okay, you ready? Gen- uh, Song of Solomon 3. This is the Shulamite in reference and relationship to the king. By night on my bed, say my bed, I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. Say my bed. There it was her bed. In verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7, Behold his bed, which is Solomon's threescore valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. So there it's his bed. First verse, her bed. Seventh verse, his bed. But chapter 1, praise God. Verse 16. Behold, thou art fair. Mm-mm. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Verse 12. While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breast. My beloved is unto me a cluster of camphor and a vineyard of Engedi. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved. Yea, pleasant. Our also, also, our bed is green. She, she made it to the throne room where the rainbow around the throne is green. She made it from the outer court. Come on. She made it beyond the holy place. And she made it to where the bed, the atmosphere is all green. So her soul made it. Spirit was already saved. But her soul made it. The woman made it. Hallelujah. He maketh my soul. He restoreth my soul. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. There she is standing in the throne. Not just standing, but in bed with him. That's a place of intimacy. That's a place of relationship. That's a place where he wants you. He don't want to just save you and make you a church person. He don't want to make you a pew sitter. He wants to make you a kingdom person. He don't want to just date you. Amen. He don't want to just get you drunk. Hallelujah. Come on, are you with me? He's dating her in the first chapter. She sees herself black. Chapter 2, he takes her into the banqueting table. Hallelujah. She drinks that flagon of wine. Pops the top. It effervesces. He gets drunk in chapter 2 of Song of Solomon. Hallelujah. He finally makes it all the way to the throne room. He got her drunk so she'd fall off into his arms and drunk on the Holy Ghost 
And you know what she finally says? Thy love is better than wine. She said, there's something better than the power of the Holy Ghost. She said, thy love is better than wine. And I'm as drunk as I can be. Just catch me in your arms and take me into your bedroom. That's heavy stuff, man. That's powerful. Boy, that sent joy up in your spirit, man. I'm telling you right there. She made it to that place that Jesus invited the church to to sit with him in his throne. Let's stand. Father God, I just give you the glory, the honor, and the praise, and the worship today. I ask you, Father God, that you would somehow take this word that has been preached and apply it to each individual's heart in the area that they need, in the area that I need. Help me to be faithful to this covenant. Help me to be faithful to my wife, my natural wife, my spiritual wife, my church. God, let me keep covenant. Father God, help me to be a Joseph. There's something inside of me, my destiny for the throne, would say no. Oh, God have mercy. Would say no to every temptation and that I would overcome every temptation that comes my way that would hinder my destiny of the throne. Everybody said in Jesus' name, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. You can turn the cameras off. I'm looking at some people today.